Welcome in to the newest edition of the Justin Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson. And this week's episode, we'll be talking about the fast-changing and ever-changing landscape of the college football and college athletics conference realignment. We'll be discussing the NFL as it is officially back with the Hall of Fame game on Thursday night. And we will have our best for last. Now, as always, don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the Justin Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and turn on your post notifications on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all uh, threads, all of your social medias. Uh, Justin Time Sports is on there with the social media handle at JTime Sports. We'll pull up everything that you will have on social media. Now, as always, don't forget to sit back and get ready to learn something. Excited to be back with you guys, uh, recording this per usual on Friday night, um, and you guys will get this, of course, Saturday morning, um, so hopefully nothing breaks overnight, that kind of throws off anything I'm saying right now, but of course we'll have, or I guess, I guess you guys don't know, uh, we will have some schedule adjustments until when the podcast comes out, as you guys know, if you guys are faithful listeners, I do coach football myself. Um, and so coming into the season now, um, getting close, ramping up, the show may come out a little earlier. Plus the NFL, I want to try and get you guys a show Thursday morning. So you guys may, you know, I may record Wednesday night, get it out Thursday morning or so on and so forth. We'll be adjusting the schedule. Um, but I will let you guys know how the schedule adjusts. Uh, I would do my best to do it the week or two before it adjusts. So probably that last week of preseason, I do the big NFL preview show. Probably it's going to be the last Saturday show all the way through the NFL season. Um, because then I want to get you guys a show uh, before the next week of the NFL starts. Either a Wednesday morning show or a Thursday morning show. That way you guys will have all of your previews and your recaps before the NFL week even kicks off. Plus it fits a little better into my schedule. In perfect honesty with you. But... We are here today. I woke up this morning. I'm be honest. Back to the show. Back to the show. I woke up this morning completely and totally honest with you. I was going to leave with the NFL. And I was also thinking in my head, it's gonna, not going to be the longest show. Um, you know, I was like, not a lot is happening right now. It's kind of in that dead period of sports. Uh, Major League Baseball is in the middle of the summer. They're still playing day games, like 1 o'clock games. Like They're still dead heat in the middle of the summer. Um, the WNBA is ramping up. Uh, they're nearing their playoffs, so that that's going to be covered probably in earnest probably next week on the show. Um, I mean, honestly, they might have got it in this week, but then so much stuff started happening that they kind of got bumped out. Um, you know, I was thinking maybe it's be a 25, 30-minute show. NFL news, touching some signings. Touched on the Hall of Fame game last night, kind of preview, maybe share a couple of stories about the Hall of Famer since we're now getting to the age group. I'm a fairly young guy. Um, you guys, again, if you're a loyal listener, 
I'm 26. So a lot of these Hall of Famers now, you know, Ray Lewis's prime, I don't remember. If that makes sense. And, not, and being not a Ravens fan, I don't remember that 04, 05, 06 Ray Lewis. Like, I'm a Patriots fan. I barely remember Teddy Bruschi on the field. Like, it's one of those things where it's like my first real football memory is probably, I, mean, I remember Teddy Bruschi, but I can't say, oh, that specific play. Like, I, you know, like, I'm not, I mean, I can in some of the Super Bowls, some of the Asian title games, but that's because I was a Patriots fan. Um, and, of course, the Randy Moss years and stuff like that. But, you know, I I know the history of the game. I've seen the highlight packages, but not being a Raven, being not that I wasn't a Ravens fan, I can't really pinpoint, bam, when certain stuff Ray Lewis happened. Just for instance, Ed Reed, same thing. But now with this Hall of Fame class, I can tell you a lot about Dora Reeves. I can tell you a lot about Joe Thomas. You know, so we're starting to get to guys, even Troy Palomalu, like I was a little more of a Steelers fan. I can remember, I remember vividly watching when he jumped over the line and tackled the quarterback. Like, I remember that, right? And so... Um, we're now getting to the Hall of Fame class. Like, I was going to do stuff like this. Like, see how this is already naturally taking off, and it's not even how I'm starting the show? That's kind of how I was going to go into the show. Um, and then the bottom fell out of college sports. And um, really, college football is the headline, of course. Nothing moves in college athletics without football, of course. That's why Duke doesn't move. That's why North Carolina doesn't move. That's why Gonzaga, no one cares. And conference realignment. That's why no one's clamoring over getting Gonzaga in to a conference. They don't play football. They'd be more of a detriment than a help. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one's clamoring over at the basketball schools to get in conference. St. John's. Because they don't play football. And so the bottom fell out of college athletics. Um, if you guys if you guys are driving or listening or walking or running, whatever, and for some strange reasons you're starting to hear bells and singing, that's because the funeral song of the Pac-12 is officially started. The rumors of the Pac-12 demise was told to us last year, right around the same time. Greatly exaggerated. USC and UCLA were heading out the uh, out of the front door. They weren't even going out of the side door. They were going out of the front door. And they were heading their way to the Big Ten in 2024. Simultaneously, the reason why the Pac-12 can kind of stand on their laurels and stand like we stand ten toes down is because the Big 12 in 2025 was losing Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC. But I'm I want to go back in this story of conference realignment since the world's kind of shaking out and we're pretty much going to find out what's happening. I want to go back about a decade. Um, maybe a little more than a decade. Remember the world of the four super conferences? Who was the first conference to say to get the 16 teams? There's going to be four 16-team conferences. 64 teams. Pretty much the football powers, the top 64 of the football world, were going to play in four conferences. Those teams would basically... Remember, the playoff was rumored even back then. Those four champions... Was gonna was I mean they were talking about those four champions automatically being tossed into a playoff or a tournament or whatever, but effectively a playoff. The winner of the Pac-16, the winner of the Big 16, the winner of the SEC, and the winner of the ACC would play in a tournament. Those four teams would battle for the national champion. Because I'm old enough to remember this. This is probably 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago. I remember vividly getting used to saying the words Pac-16 B-16 
Big 16 to super conferences and stuff like that. I remember train, trying to train a younger version of myself to say these things. Of course, when there's four super conferences, someone has to die. Now me, I wasn't old enough and still, I'm old enough now, but I'm not really into the TV contractual language and stuff like that on why they can't be five super conferences. And I kind of understand a little bit more now with the Pac-12 and their situation. Why there couldn't be five super conferences. If everybody's TV deal in at the same time and everybody's going to renegotiate and move around, 80 teams and five conferences, the rest are scraps. It fits, it, that works in my brain. But it was going to be the four super conferences, um, anywhere from 16 to 18 teams, and 16 to 20 teams in each conference, the odd man out being the Big 12. This idea dies. The Pac-12 couldn't, at the time, Texas was trying to make the Longhorn Network. Oklahoma and Texas were going to move together wherever they went. Um, and the Pac-12 couldn't get it to work. The Longhorn Network and them, they were trying to keep the Longhorn Network out and all kind of stuff. It fell apart. Under a bunch of public heat, by the way, it fell apart. Fast forward to January 2021. The Big 12 has a problem. Texas and Oklahoma are on their way out the door. Now, Texas was already out the door probably to the SEC a little before that. But again, the Longhorn Network was an issue. And when the Longhorn Network no longer became an issue, um, due to the Longhorn Networks, ultimately what they were going to use the Longhorn Network for, I think the NCAA and the Big 12 kind of smelled out. And so the Longhorn Network basically became unimportant. Oklahoma and Texas began to flirt with the SEC. Now the Big 12 has a problem. Their two top moneymakers looking elsewhere, looking east, already have gone east from the Big 12 was Missouri and Texas A&M. So now, like I said, they're two cash cows, the pillars on which the SEC is built, are looking, or the, sorry, the pillars where the Big 12 was built, my apologies, was looking to join Missouri, Texas A&M, and the rest of the SEC. They had the biggest revenue share, they had the best athletes, they had the best recruiting, and Right, frankly, Anima Missouri was making hand over fist financially with not really a whole bunch of success. I mean, Johnny Menzel had a spell at AM. Kyle Field is the house that Menzel built, especially that top section, literally. Missouri came in and won the East, I think, their very first year in the conference. But after that, Missouri's been below, uh, Missouri's been average, six to seven win team. AM's anywhere from eight to 10. Um, good, good competitive teams on both sides. Not the cream of the crop of the SEC. Texas and Oklahoma, we're looking to join the SEC. Okay. So the Big 12 commissioner goes to the Pac-12 commissioner because now there's the beginning of embers and smoke flying up that USC and UCLA may be looking to go elsewhere too, specifically the Big 10. So the Pac- Big 12 commissioner goes to the Pac-12 commissioner and says, hey, Let's talk. How about we combine? USC and UCLA haven't gone anywhere yet. Oklahoma and Texas haven't gone anywhere. Or they're, they're out the door. But USC and UCLA haven't gone anywhere yet. We have some big brands. Especially, we have big football brands. Oklahoma State, Baylor. But we also have basketball brands. Kansas, Baylor, um... 
you know, Oklahoma State's good in basketball, like West Virginia. We have big basketball brands, and we've got big football brands. USC and UCLA are probably out the door, but they haven't gone yet. But even if they walk, we still have an 18-team conference. The Pac-12 is still viable. It's the biggest conference in the country, all this stuff. All right? The Pac-12 commissioner says no. So now, fast forward about a year, USC and UCLA, adios amigo, we're going to the Big Ten. Texas and Oklahoma, adios amigo, not only are we going to the Big 12, not only going to the SEC, we're going to the SEC early. We're going to 24 instead of 25. UCLA and USC, that's a good move, Texas and Oklahoma. We're going to go into the Big 10 in 2024, not 25. Why is 2024 the year people are joining? You don't have to pay an exit fee when there's a new TV contract. So if the TV contract ends, you don't have to pay the conference an exit fee. The big, the Pac-12 and the Big Tens, Pac-12 and the Big 12's con- TV contract ends in 2024. Which means, as long as Texas and Oklahoma, USC and UCLA, don't put their names to a new TV contract, they're free to go. Which is why they're joining in 24, which is why USC and UCLA are joining the Big Ten in 24. So ultimately... It became the SEC is the strongest. The Big Ten is the second strongest because now the Big Ten goes coast to coast. USC, UCLA in LA, California, Rutgers is in New Jersey. The Big Ten officially goes coast to coast. Of course, they have the middle of the country, Ohio State, um, Michigan State, Michigan, Iowa, Iowa State, whatever. They're officially coast to coast. It's going to be very interesting when USC basketball on a Tuesday night has to fly to Rutgers to play and then go back to school. Well, most of their damage be done. Well, no, school in the spring. It's going to be interesting when UCLA football has to play at Michigan in in, in, in the uh, big house in November, and it's a blizzard, or Happy Valley, Pennsylvania, and it's a blizzard. But just vice versa when, you know, Penn State has to go to California and it's 80 degrees and they've been playing in 20 degree weather and their bodies are sweating bullets. Like it's going to be very interesting how that works. But ultimately, in the ACC, sitting uh, back to the story, the ACC is sitting there as the third strength of the team conference, easily. They have their top dog in Clemson, so the football. They have a building, Florida State. They have um, Duke and Carolina as far as basketball. They're in a good spot. Pac-12 and Big 12 are hurting. Then the Big 12 takes a swing. And not only do they take a swing, they hit that swing. Because the Pac-12 commissioner said, man, we yeah, we don't have USC, UCLA, but we have something they don't. We have Deion Sanders. We have the biggest star in the game. We have Deion Sanders at Colorado. The Big 12 says, in the words of Lee Corso, not so fast, my friends. They get Colorado to join the Big 12. Not Colorado's originally a Big 12 school, but they get Colorado to rejoin the Big 12. Then the chirping from other Pac-12 schools start. Oh, they're just chasing the money, and Dion's leaving the Pac-12 high and dry, and all this other stuff. Bunch of Colorado slander. Right? Then the dominoes over the past week begin to fall. We start hearing rumblings. The Pac-12 is done. 
Starting room is Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. Along with Oregon and Washington could be looking to go elsewhere. The Big Ten have officially decided to bring in Oregon and Washington to be an 18-team conference. Now, for basketball, I don't know how you do that. You only play 30-some-odd regular season games in basketball. You can't play everybody twice now. And usually in college basketball, you play 12, 12 to 14 non-conference games, and then you play everybody twice in your conference, 34 games, and you go into the tournament. At 18 teams, play everybody twice, that's 34. So unless you basically have no non-conference games, you can have like three no non-conference games, or you don't play everybody twice, I'm not sure how they're going to do their basketball schedule. Baseball is easier to fold into itself. Football, you'd have two big divisions. Nine team divisions, you play, to me, ten conference games, you have to. You play an automatic cross and arrival in two non-conference games. But anyway, they become an 18-team conference. Okay? Oregon and Washington will not see the immediate financial jump that um, the other schools as USC and UCLA will see when they took the conference from 14 to 16. Oregon and Washington will not see as big of a jump. They will get half portions of the Big Ten media share. Still a good amount of money, and it will raise every single year through about 2029 when they will still be able to receive full portions. But anyway, they're joining into the Big Ten. Nike with Oregon, gone. Washington, one of the bigger brands and rising brands, gone. So now UCLA is gone. USC is gone. Nike with Oregon's gone. Washington is gone. Within a couple of hours of each other, Arizona State, Arizona, and Utah all become voted in members of the Big 12. The Big 12 swells now to 14-ish teams, I believe, because um, they were gonna, they were back up to 12. The Utah, oh, Oklahoma, Texas dipped. They added two more teams, and then they, yeah, so they could be a 16 team. It was 14 to 16 teams. I came off the top of my head right now. Conference themselves. Um, which leaves the Pac-12 with Stanford, Cal, Washington State, and Oregon State in their conference. Now, normally schools have to stay together. The only problem is, only state schools have to stay together. The only problem is, in order for the state schools of Washington and Oregon State and Oregon to stay together, they have to go to the Big Ten. And I'm not sure if the Big Ten is ready to have a 20-team conference. They're already, they're already giving out half media portions to Oregon and Washington. I mean, they might give quarter portions to Washington State and Oregon State. Um, and then that basically, to me, cripples the Pac-12. Because my brain immediately went, okay, we'll go get Mountain West teams. One problem. The Mountain West has a $32 million buyout fee per team in their conference. So if they were to say, okay, let's just buy Let's just say we're going to go to the Mountain West and get 17 out of the Mountain West and immediately go back up to 11 teams. Okay, we're just going to have to pay over $360 million to do that. Either the conference has to fork up $360 million or they have to convince teams who already don't have a lot of money in universities to pay $32 million a piece to exit and go to the Pac-12. I don't see that happening. So now you look at teams like Fresno State and you look at the WAC Maybe getting some of those teams in there. Um, you're calling FCS teams. You're dying. You're no longer a power conference. It's over. 
The Pac-12 mishandled this probably for about 12 to 13 years now, from the era of not securing the first Super Conference to not, I mean, I remember just on a Super Conference note, had those ESPN was doing the dream matchups of Texas, USC, in the Rose Bowl in November. Winner goes to the Patriots. I mean, just all kind of stuff. Um, these dream matchups were coming together. The Big 12 is supposed to be the team conference that died. And look, it's going to be the Pac-12. So there's a lot of ramifications flying around. Um, of course, again, you're adding... Uh, Oregon and Washington, along with USC and UCLA, to the Big Ten in 2024. You're adding Arizona State, Arizona, Utah, along with Colorado to the Big 12 in 2024. Texas and Oklahoma has to the SEC in 2024. The Big 12 also does their realignment um, in 2024 as well, making up for the loss of Oklahoma and Texas. What is the ramifications in different areas? So, um, an angle I didn't think about, and shout out Clay Travis for this. Um, we disagree on a lot, but he made a hell of a point on this. What does the Rose Bowl do? And I kind of said that the Pac-12 would survive because of the Rose Bowl. It's in L.A. It's played in the Rose Bowl Stadium. UCLA shares a stadium. Like it's one of those things where it's nine miles from USC. It's right around the right around the heart of um, the Pac-12 offices and the Pac-12's epicenter. What does the Rose Bowl do? I think that the Big 12 should get involved with the Rose Bowl. I think the Big 12 should be the host team for the Rose Bowl now. One last year, the Pac-12 champion going, representing and to be the end of the Rose Bowl as we know it. But I think that the Big 12 ought to get involved. Now, Clay Travis suggested... Big 10 SEC meet at the Rose Bowl. Big 12 champion, SEC champion. If they're not in the playoff, they meet at the Rose Bowl. There's one problem with that. The SEC has the Sugar Bowl. Now, the Big 10 is... The Big 12 is linked to the Cotton Bowl. Uh, the Big 10 is linked to one of the New Year's Six Bowls. I can't even think right now. It's the one in Indianapolis. Um, I know the ACC is linked to the Orange Bowl. SEC has the Sugar Bowl. The Pac-12 has the Rose Bowl. Um, Big 12's Cotton Bowl. Oh, man, I can't think right now. But um, the Big Ten, to me, if the Big Ten isn't bowl-affiliated, then I think that... And let me do a quick Google search, guys. I know it's a little odd. Um, but let me do a quick... Google search to find out what bowl they are linked to. Um, and by linked, I mean this team has an automatic conference tie-in. Like, no matter what happens, this conference champion um, goes to... Okay, no, so the Big Ten is linked to the Rose Bowl. Okay. Then the Sugar Bowl is SEC versus the Big 12. The Orange Bowl is ACC versus either the Big Ten, the SEC, or Notre Dame. Um, the Cotton Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, and the Peach Bowls have no conference tie-ins. Um, so, that's intriguing. So, in that case, I think, I think the Big Ten, I changed my point. The Big Ten should be the whole school. 
and I think it should be Big Ten versus at large. The Big Ten's been going out there versus the Pac-12, oh God, it feels like my entire life. So probably before that, it's been Big Ten versus the uh, Pac-12 going out to the Rose Bowl. Um, I, I think I remember seeing when Joe Paterno was in the Joe Paterno special, he was talking about playing for the Rose Bowl. And it's like in the 80s, uh, 70s and 80s. So I think the Pac-12 should drop it and the Big Ten becomes the host. And I think it should just be Big Ten versus whoever. Um, if you want to automatically link, I would say Big 12, but the Big 12 is tied into the Sugar Bowl. Um, so I think the Big Ten should just be like the uh, Orange Bowl, where the Orange Bowl is the ACC champion versus whoever. The, the Sugar Bowl, SEC, Big 12, they want to keep that going. They can keep it going, especially because it's kind of the, 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 the zones are merging um, with the Big 12 going from the center of the country to the East Coast. The SEC going from the East Coast to the center of the country. I think the zones are kind of merging now. Um, so they want to keep the Sugar Bowl as their catch-all spot. They're not in the playoff. That's fine. And then the Big Ten hold down the Rose Bowl. Um, so I think that is what the situation should be. Um, that the Big Ten holds down the Rose Bowl. The Pac-12 drops claim to it. Um, and then it's more like an at-large thing to get to the Rose Bowl. But this is a situation where, well, one more point before I go into the major overarching point. What does the ACC and that SEC do? Now, the SEC is adding two dogs in Texas and Oklahoma. I mean, the financial ramifications alone for that is massive. What does the ACC do? They've kind of sat and chilled, for lack of a better term, and just played defense in this whole conference realignment movement as opposed to playing offense. They didn't get aggressive like the Big Ten added four great brands. They didn't get aggressive like the Big 12 after they lost their dogs and added three great brands and then a great superstar. Um, or two great brands and a superstar in Deion Sanders. They, they didn't make a move like the SEC and get two of the biggest brands in college athletics. I mean, out of the top five brands, the top seven brands of all sports, the SEC holds four of them. Uh, uh, top eight SC holds four of them. The Big Ten might hold the other four um, because USC, UCLA, Ohio State, and Michigan came to mind immediately. That's all in the Big Ten. LSU, Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma came to mind immediately, and those are all in the SEC. So they split the top eight of brands. Um, and then you got Georgia in the SEC, but you've got Michigan State in the, in the Big Ten, you know. So What does the ACC do? I've named 10 top brands and I haven't mentioned one ACC school. Probably your biggest brand that would be Florida State or Clemson. I would say Florida, probably Florida gives them a run for the money for 11th. Iowa, Iowa State suck. Um, Oregon's actually up there. So Oregon and uh, Florida is probably the fifth biggest brands in each conference. Texas A&M's up there too. And they're competing with the top of the ACC. So what does the ACC do? Do they look at the American Conference with Louisville, maybe at Cincinnati, um, getting those guys in the ACC just to expand in number and try to match some of the sheer size of the Big Ten and the SEC? Like, yeah, the Big Ten's at an 18. The SEC is going to be at 16. Um, I wonder if the Big Ten's going to change their name. But just to match the sheer size of those two conferences, um, I wonder what the ACC decides to do. Also with the Big 12, I wonder if they play a year or two 
and then they say, okay, let's buy two of the best Mountain West schools and go to 16 teams um, and just match that size. Uh, since they'll be pretty much coast to coast as well, um, they won't reach all the way into California. But if they let's say they get a San Diego State and a BYU, they get those two Mountain West teams, $32 million a piece. The 16 teams pay $4 million a piece and they buy them out. And then they bring in those two schools, their 16-team conference, and their uh, coast, their coast to coast. Um, so that would be huge. The Big Ten gets the distinction. They're the only coast to coast conference. Rutgers is in New Jersey, which touches the, which touches the Eastern Seaboard. USC and UCLA, Oregon and Washington, all play in Western state I mean, t- teams. All play in states that touch the Pacific Ocean. Actually. All three states that touch the Pacific Ocean in the West are Washington, California, and Oregon. The University of Washington, University of Oregon, USC, and UCLA are all in the Big Ten now. So they're the first coast-to-coast conference. Uh, a, a distinction, I'm sure, that they're going to kind of thumb their nose at the SEC about because it's although the top, well, now you say the top may not be as good, but USC, UCLA, or Ohio State and Michigan, like you can put that up against Georgia, LSU, um, Alabama, Texas, Oklahoma, like you can put those brands at each other and say, we got just as big as brand as you do. Um, but absolutely huge for collegiate athletics. The Pac-12 is dead. They're going to be the first conference, the first power five conference to die. Uh, we've seen smaller conferences um, fade in and out, up and down. Uh, but this would be the first of the power five conferences probably since the term came to be, but definitely I remember since the Big 8, and really the Big 8 became the Big 12, um, to just fight out, die. I don't see an out for the Pac-12, especially if they have Power 5 Conference. It's probably going to transition into being a Power 4 Conference, um, Power 4 situation, because what's the Pac-12 going to do? The easiest answer would have been the Mountain West, but they'd have to basically absorb the Mountain West and with the Mountain West having a $32 million per team buyout fee, unless they came to some sort of joint agreement and became the Pac Mountain or Mountain Pac-12 or something like that, um, I don't see an answer for the Pac-12 to even begin to hope to remain a power conference. Um, so the Pac-12 race is going to be incredibly interesting this year because it's the last one. USC, UCLA going for it, you know, like uh, Colorado, Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah, it's the last time they can automatically probably bid into the Rose Bowl, so these conferences are going to go for it, you know, over here in SC, Oregon, uh, my bad, Oregon and Washington too, they're gone, so it's going to be very interesting to see how these teams link up, even though Oregon and Washington are going to end up in a conference, along with UGC and UCLA, that can put the Big Ten logo on their chest and go to the Rose Bowl, but that'll be the last time they can do it as Pac-12 uh, members, so it'll be very interesting to see how this all shakes out. Um, like I said, absolutely crazy. I, I thought I was gonna lead into the show with the NFL, and it turns out I'm spent about 30 minutes on college athletic realignment, um, and just it changed over a course of about 24 hours, 48 hours at the max. I mean, the whole world of collegiate athletics changed. Um, the West has no the king has, I mean, there's no crown in the West. The emperor has no clothes. The Pac-12 commissioner, he, he has nothing to stand on. His crown, his entire conference came from under him in 72 to 96 hours. Um, 
absolutely insane quickly and Dion spoke about it he's speaking about the hypocrisy now last point on this Dion Sanders hey coach Colorado Buffaloes he's speaking on the hypocrisy now because Oregon Dan Lanning at Oregon Washington I think one of the Arizona schools in Utah um had the loudest oh they're just running and they're what has Colorado done to say they changed anything in the conference? That was what Oregon said. Um, what, you know, they're just running for the money and they're just da 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 And so when all this happened, Dion went, what, what happened? It's about the bag. He said it about NIL too. He said it's about the bag. These collectors want to win. They want to get their money. It's about the bag. So it, it's super hypocritical because Dan Landing School within a week of Dion moving, moved. What is Oregon? Oregon got, Oregon got a couple patchwork titles. I give them that. But and they've been a natty, lost it. But they've been to a natty. Um. So very hip, hip hypocritical of uh, some of these schools to jet less than a week after criticizing Colorado for doing it. Um. But we're gonna move on. We're gonna definitely keep our eye on this situation. I could probably do an entire show. On conference realignment, actually, I probably did an entire show on conference realignment. Like I said, about a 30 minute segment. My apologies for being a little long winded. But now we're going to shift to the NFL and talk about how football is back. segment my apologies for the long winning segment i actually thought about something else about the conference realignment that the acc should probably scoop the last four of stanford cal washington state and oregon state go coast to coast just like the big 10 but we're gonna leave that there we might discuss that again next week um because conference realignment moves it seems every day um so we're about to be discussing that next week but moving on into the nfl the nfl is back people helmets pads Referees giving penalties, crowds cheering, legends, guys looking at bus, bus playing on the field. Yeah, it was everything. Football's back. My God, it's been such a long, dark one. Oh, that was just, look, I love the NBA like the next man. I love baseball just like the next person. God knows I love the WNBA. Oh, man, I'm an LSU fan, so I had a great women's basketball year. I had a great college baseball year. But it's something about helmets, shoulder pads, girdles, knee pads, cleats, crowds, that oblong-shaped brown ball, 100 by 53 and a half yards, goal posts, 10-yard end zones, pylons, holding calls, penalties, flags, referees, six of them, 53-man rosters, Hell, 120-man roster for college football, 85 on the active scholarship. It's just something about it. Hell, high school ball. I'm a high school coach myself. I love high school ball. High school ball on Friday nights. It's something about it. 
that just brings out the passion in every man, woman, child. If you don't love football, by God, you might not be alive. But enough of the dramatics. Enough of the of the whatevers. Football is back, people. The Hall of Fame game. Yeah, it's I call it Week Zero. College football has something similar called Week Zero, um, where it's like the games exist, but they're not in the traditional 12-week calendar. Of course, or 14-week calendar, I don't know, 15-week calendar, I don't know, football is. Um, it's only week zero of the preseason. It's only like Hall of Fame week now. Now, we everyone has their issue with the Hall of Fame game, right? We all have the same issues. It's the first game of the preseason. It's a standalone game of the preseason. No one cares who wins. No stars play. You get all these legends there to watch bad football. Okay, let's go off into that. First of all, let's talk about it. I think the Hall of Fame game should die. Just like the Pac-12, I think it should die. Get rid of it. In the way it's set up now. Why, oh why, on a weekend celebrating the greatest players to ever play this game? There's 300 and some odd Hall of Famers in 103 and counting years of football. That means on average, there's three Hall of Famers a year. We've been playing NFL football for over 100 years. There's, I don't think there's 400 Hall of Famers. There might be a little 400 Hall of Famers. I know there's not 500. So there's less than five Hall of Famers for every year the NFL has existed. There's less Hall of Famers then there are players in the AFC right now, about half. Because every team has 53, 53 times 10 is 500. So there's less Hall of Famers than there are players in the AFC conference right now. And we're subjecting those people who come every year for the Hall of Fame to what we saw last night, or two nights ago, by the time you hear this. Now, I watched it. I watched three quarters of it quite vigorously. Fourth quarter, and then I was out. But I watched three quarters of it quite vigorously. The Dorian Thompson Robinson kept me glued for the most part, but I was excited all day to watch Zach Wilson versus Kellen Mond. I mean, that's what got me going. I, I didn't I didn't know most of the receivers. A couple of the names kind of stood out to me when they said them. I was like, oh, I know that person. He's from whoever, whoever. I was so excited to watch Kellen Mond versus Zach Wilson. You know what the best part about the game was? Outside of Dorian Thompson Robinson's amazing performance, shout out him. I mean, he secured himself as the as that spot. If him and Mond were battling for a spot. Give it to Thompson Robinson. Um, it was interviews. It was hearing from Joe Thomas. It was hearing from Darrell Reavers. It was hearing from Aaron Rodgers. Like that was the best part of the game to me. Chris Collinsworth commentary and Deshaun Watson notwithstanding. Now, I'm going to talk about the game, because, again, it was football. It was back. I loved it. But I think the Hall of Fame weekend should be the Hall of Fame and ceremony. I think they should have a Hall of Fame ceremony, have a big blowout party Thursday night, party it up again Saturday night, have the Hall of Fame presentation Saturday or Sunday, whenever they want to do it. Wait six weeks. Or push the Hall of Fame back. Push either push the Hall of Fame induction back six weeks, or just wait six weeks. Thursday night, the Super Bowl champion opens. 
every single year they open. Period. Doesn't matter. Every single year, the Super Bowl champion opens Thursday night. They get their rings. They run the right to host week one. Monday night doesn't exist in week one, I think. No, they usually open up. But Thursday night, one of the nights used not exist. I say make a special Saturday night time slot. It's before college football. Kicks off for real, for real. Make a special time slot. Either a Friday night time slot, a Saturday night time slot, or make the Sunday night opener the Hall of Fame game. You still playing in Canton. Tom Benson filled all that. But you play it with real people. You play the Hall of Fame game with real talent. So whether you want to play it at Tom Benson Stadium in Canton, Ohio, week one, or whether you, like I say, you just say, okay, the legends are going to fly to this game, we'll deem it as the Hall of Fame game, and the commissioner will come, and they'll fly private jets in their gold jackets, and one last, like, big hoorah moment in the NFL. I don't know, right? I say play in the Tom Benson Stadium. You've already, you already have teams. And my first, my half my brain was saying, what about the revenue from the home game? You already have teams giving a revenue going to Germany and London and Mexico City and giving up a home game. Why not have that go to Canton, Ohio? All the money goes into the NFL Hall of Fame. You probably build a bigger stadium because you know you're going to probably sell that stadium out. That who the two teams, Hall of Famers, get to be sideline pass members like make it a thing and it's real football that was real football last night and i would loved every freaking second of it i was glued like i said about two and a half three quarters i'm honest i was glued right i was watching i was critiquing kellen mon very closely critiquing zach wilson very closely dorian thompson robinson dorian thompson robinson popped off my screen He's a UCLA legend. He popped off my screen at quarterback for the Browns. Um, trying to get a move, trying to get a feel of what Aaron Rodgers was talking about with the Jets. Listening to Joe Thomas, listening to Rob Reeves, you know, talk about their glory days. Football was back. Um, and you can tell it has a lot of contact. <laughs> a lot of broken tackles. Offensive running game, way in front of the passing game. But that's because... It's easier for a foul offensive lineman to take a good zone step to the right and block their assignment, and then the running back read it and cut through, as opposed to the quarterback with timing uh, with their receivers. You know, we, we talk about, oh, man, it's you can't throw a ball in front of a guy. Well, if you haven't been working with that receiver, the slightest mistake in the NFL is no mistake in the NFL could be a completion. The slightest mistake could be an interception, even against cover two, too high safety all night. Like the Jets, it's obvious the preseason. So the Jets wasn't throwing anything crazy at him. It was four man rush. I think I might have saw two or three extra rushers. Too high safety all night. 12 yards deep. Nothing cheap, nothing deep. Cover two man or just straight up cover two. Like, and that was pretty much what the Jets ran. The Browns pretty much did similar. Um, and so quarterbacks not being able to be successful in that would worry me Kellen Mond had a decent night the interception he threw was awful 
it wasn't an interception where oh how come you didn't see that safety screaming it towards the um how come you didn't see that safety screaming towards your receiver over that post and pick the post or underthrown ball the pick Deshaun Kaiser threw, the one that stuck out to me, was the one he threw to the middle linebacker, where the linebacker literally mirrored the receiver in front of him. So the person behind the intended target. And then from the time the receiver started his break, the linebacker who caught the pick was in between them. It wasn't like he was trailing or trying to cut off in front. He was literally underneath it the entire time, and Kaiser hit him right in the chest. That pick was so bad that when Kaiser, not Kaiser, keep saying Kaiser, thinking Deshaun Kaiser, when Kellen Mond let that pass go, the receiver started jogging because he knew there was no chance that ball was getting him. It was a pure bullet right into the chest of the linebacker running the route for the receiver. I mean, that was an awful interception by Kellen Mond. Absolutely terrible. Like I said, then you get a situation where um, DTR comes right in off the bench and looks pretty good. Leads two touchdown drives, and you have that awful pick on film. Like, that's one of those teams that can decide who's a practice squad quarterback and who's an active roster guy, Um, which the pay is significantly different. So, you know, that could be something huge uh, to look out for in Cleveland. Huge-ish. But who's the guy behind Deshaun Watson? Um, And the Jets had some good signs. Um, their first round pass rush sure dominated against non NFL talent. Like those guys would be XFL All Stars, good backups in the league, or uh, practice squad warriors. He dominated. He had several big plays that popped off the screen as soon as he came in the game. He did what he was supposed to do against that level of competition. Zach Wilson looks like he's grown up. Now again, it was simple reads against simple coverages, no real pass rush. Um, Nobody he should be too, too concerned about killing him. No real pressure. So, but just from live bullets, he look, he's grown up. He threw a beautiful ball down the sideline. He didn't do his usual take one read and take off um, that he used to do in terms of running with the football and scrambling. Show better pocket presence. Um, so kudos to Zach Wilson. Now, both of these teams have high expectations, the Browns and the Jets, and that's the one benefit about being in the Hall of Fame game to me is that you get the old school fourth preseason game schedule. Um, so for guys 80, 75 through 90 who may be trying to fight to survive that first cut, um, that Hall of Fame game could mean surviving that first cut. And Chris Collinsworth uh, spoke about it on the broadcast. It was like the Jets have a lot of linebackers and safeties. And so the preseason matters a lot to those guys because – they're not even fighting for active roster spots. They got so many of those guys. They're fighting to be on the practice squad. Like, there's so many linebackers and safeties on the Jets. They're fighting for literal practice squad spots, along with active roster spots, they can get it. Um, and, of course, the Jets have the influx of Aaron Rodgers with his newly reworked contract, uh, giving back 30 to $35 million, signing a bunch of his old Packers buddies. Um... You know, they have sky-high expectations. Not as high as the Lions, but they have sky-high expectations. Um, People are picking them to win the AFC East. They are a popular bet for the Super Bowl champions through a Super Bowl trophy. I mean, they have sky-high expectations. On the Browns' side, they're looking to compete in the division. 
Um, this is Deshaun Watson's first full year since 2020. I think 20, yeah, 2020. Um, where last time we saw him in the full season, he was 70% completion in the universe, regarded as one of the best five to seven quarterbacks in the league. And now, you know, of course, he said I was 121. He was suspended for 11 games, 2022. Um, and he came back, he was okay. Went three and three, had some moments of greatness, had some moments of awfulness, but sitting out a year and a half, especially at the quarterback position in the NFL. That's going to happen to anybody. And so now he gets a full offseason, a full mini camp, a full training camp, the second year in his offense. He gets to really learn uh, how to make this offense work, how to be successful in this offense. Um, and so he gets an opportunity to now really begin to earn that $230 million fully guaranteed contract. Uh, they did some machinations in the first year of it to keep a lot, keep it out of harm, most of it out of harm's way. I think his base salary for year one was $1 million or something insane or something insane like that just so they can keep his uh, suspension loss money to a minimum. Um, but Deshaun Watson gets an opportunity to lead this Browns franchise um, with the deal being fully guaranteed for the next four seasons. It's his franchise. Uh, quick hitters before we touch. I'm going to wrap up the segment. Uh, team we got to touch on, but quick hitters. Um, Alvin Kamara suspended three games by the NFL following his fight at a Las Vegas uh, club. Uh, he gets three games at the meeting with the commissioner, Roger Goodell. Um, so he will miss the first three games of the season. Uh, Josh Sills of the Philadelphia Eagles has been acquitted of rape and kidnapping charges. Um, he placed on the commissioner exemplist in 2019, but he did make one appearance last season against the Cardinals. But he has been committed, removed from the exemplist, and will be on the active roster per the Eagles starting tomorrow. Malik Hooker, uh, safety of the Dallas Cowboys, have ag- agreed to a three-year, $24 million contract extension with the team uh, with $16.5 million guaranteed basically the first two seasons and also has an eight million dollar signing bonus um so it pretty much guarantees the first two seasons i'm sure some of his tied up in roster bonuses but good deal for malik hooker as he has been impressing uh the cowboys throughout camp and with his play last season seattle seahawks wide receiver Dwayne eskridge along with newly acquired kansas city chiefs defensive end charles amenahu have been suspended six games apiece for violating the league's personal conduct policy. Um, I, I don't recall what Amenahu's uh, situation was that got him suspended, but Mr. Eskridge of the Seahawks was suspended for an incident involving a woman. Uh, Unique Ngakwe has joined the Chicago Bears on a one-year, $10.5 million deal with $10 million of it guaranteed. Um, so, big news in Chicago as they look to try and take advantage of the first times in 25-ish years, 20-ish years for sure, that the Green Bay Packers don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback. Between Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, um, the Bears look to try and jump up, along with trying to see what Justin Fields truly has and if he can leave the franchise. Um, Cam Jordan of the New Orleans Saints extends a two years, $27.5 million guarantee contract. Uh, this contract is basically what I would like to consider a retirement contract. It's the last deal he'll ever sign. He flew his father in to help to watch him sign the contract. He extends through 2025 and ensures that Cam Jordan then retires as a saint. Um, he'll be one of the rare players that, over a long career, spends their entire team, spends their entire franchise, 
ah, sorry, an entire career with one team, uh, 15 seasons will be the mark uh, that he will uh, he will have with the Saints. He's the franchise's all-time sack leader. Um, he holds the NFL record as well for the most time sacking one player. Um, that's uh, a former Falcons and Colts quarterback Matt Ryan. Um, and so he will retire a New Orleans Saint. Um, and then there's been a strange, or to me, a strange from uptick of injuries in training camp. A lot of ACLs, a lot of lower leg injuries. Uh, many people are con- many people are contributing this to uh, a lot of artificial fields during training camps. A lot of non-used surfaces a lot because these places a lot of time only get used if people do training camp off-site during training camp. Um, and then you have a lot of guys who use the training camps to play their way into shape. Um, they may lift weights in the off-season, but they don't do a lot of cardio, do a lot of football workouts, or if they do, it's not at the intensity of a full-speed training camp. So you're seeing ACLs go left and right. Um, big names have gone down. Small names have gone down. Um, guys that won't affect anybody's season, then Jalen Ramsey's out with a meniscus. So a calf strains too, Joe Burrow with a calf strain. So you see top guys going down along with guys that won't affect anyone's uh, season or fantasy football leagues uh, with these training camp injuries. But wrapping up the NFL segment, the Detroit Lions. I just want to give a shout-out to the Lions. Uh, for the first time in the forward field era, which is 21 seasons, they have sold out all of their season tickets for this season. First time ever. They have a waiting list for season tickets for the first time in, since they moved into the forward field. Uh, into forward field. And like I said, it's been 21 years. They have a waiting list for season tickets. It's the first time ever. The excitement around that team is palpable. Um, which is huge for a city like Detroit. Parts of it are completely deserted and abandoned. I mean, it's just old closed businesses, busted out windows, no movement in parts of the city. Like, it just doesn't exist. It's like, I am legend during the day. Will Smith's walking around and there's nobody else but him. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's like, there's just parts of the city completely abandoned. Um, and so, situation, a great team in Detroit. That team went eight of their last ten. Uh, Jared Goff over his last six, uh, six or seven starts, fifteen touchdowns, no interceptions. They were a top five offense second half of the year. Um, and so, oh, there's a lot of excitement around that Detroit franchise, the Detroit Lions franchise. Ding dong, the witch is dead in terms of Aaron Rodgers is gone. He's a Jet. So now the best quarterback in the division is to me, it's Kirk Cousins. But you can make a Jared Goff argument pretty easily. He's you know, and so. Um, there's an opportunity to win the NFC North because the Packers have had a stranglehold on it for 20 some odd years. The Vikings have popped up and won it. The Bears, the Bears have popped up and won it. The Lions haven't. Um, and so huge opportunity for the Lions because I just want to give a shout out to Dan Campbell um, and the rest of the organization for just changing the culture in Detroit. Um, and again, bringing excitement to the city that obviously has not been seen since they moved to Ford Field at minimum. But up next, we're going to shift to our best for last and discuss Anthony Davis' contract extension with the Los Angeles Lakers.
Welcome back into the show. And now we're going to touch on Anthony Davis's contract extension with the Los Angeles Lakers. AD signed the biggest average annual value extension in NBA history at over $62 million a year. And he signed a three-year extension for $186 million. Now, this extension won't start for another two seasons. It ties him to the Lakers for through 2028, of course, to the 2023. Uh, he signed this deal as soon as he was eligible, eligible to sign it. Now, had he waited a season, he could have gotten more money. He could have super maxed it and been down to one year left. Did a four-year max extension, maybe signed, maybe went it over. You know, we may be looking at two hundred thirty million dollar extension, maybe two forty. Well, he's already been sixty, so maybe a two hundred fifty million dollar extension, especially if he qualified All NBA or qualified for the super max extension. We could have been looking at a possibly seventy million dollar a year extension. I mean. Who knows what the dollar amount would have gone, but AD, just like he did when he first got to LA, he showed up on a one-year deal, or with two with one year left on his contract, extending four years instead of waiting to go to free agency and then signing back for the five years with the 10 year and all the all the other rules. He could have got way more money when he first got to LA. He took the fast guarantee money. Now, as soon as he was physically able to sign the extension, I think he went extension eligible either today or yesterday, he signed three-year max extensions. What Anthony Davis known to do, he knows his body. He admitted it in 2020 when he he signed a four-year extension. He admitted it. Yeah, I know my body. Like, I know that I have injury concerns. Pretty much admitting, like, I know at any given moment I could be banged up. I want security. He didn't want to play on that last year of the deal. You know, he gets a really bad injury, and the Lakers don't give him the money. Ask DeMarcus Cousins. It happens. DeMarcus Cousins popped his quad in New Orleans and went from a max guy to the Pelicans ended up offering two years 40. Um, Basically, give him time to rehab and come back. He said no, went to the Warriors on a one-year prove-it, so on and so forth. He's never seen that money. Um, And so, those things are going to happen. Anthony Davis was on that New Orleans team that that happened to DeMarcus Cousins, too. If anybody knows how a big man can go from a max to nothing overnight, it's Anthony Davis because he watched it happen to DeMarcus Cousins. Um, and so he took the extension. It brings his total contract to five years north of $270 million on what's left on his deal. Um, he had a weird contract. Anyway, he didn't have a player option. He had an early termination option. Um, it's not quite the same thing. Um, same function with the player option you can either pick it up or decline it the early termination if you don't do anything you just keep playing your contract you ETO it uh, you, you turn it into a four year deal um, you just got the deal you're early but he said I don't know if there are what options are in this contract I'm sure it may have another ETO or another player option um, but it bring, like I said it brings his total deal to five years 270 million dollars it also completes the Los Angeles Lakers offseason I would grade it an A. And no, they didn't bring back a Damian Lillard. So, I mean, they if they traded for Damian Lillard and kept LeBron in AD, that's an A plus. Plus, plus, plus. Um, but they probably went out on their board and they had retained these guys and extend these guys. Rui Hachimura is on a four-year deal. Austin Reeves is on a four-year deal. Anthony Davis now is high 12 games for five years. Gary Vince, um, Gary, yeah, Gary Vincent. 
It's three years. LeBron James is back. Like, I think I might have mentioned Rui Hachimura, but Rui Hachimura, if I hadn't mentioned him, he's on a four-year deal. Like, they went out and got back. D'Angelo Russell's on a two-year deal, effectively waived his no-trade. So he's an asset. It's going to be $19.5 million a year or $19 million a year that is tradable. That's a big trade piece. Um, so you're looking at the Los Angeles Lakers. Jared Vanderbilt is back. Uh, they had a hell of an offseason. Um, I think their offseason's done, but I do think they make an early to midseason trade for De- with D'Angelo Russell's contract. Austin Reeves, to me, is a starting point guard in the NBA. Um, Ray Hachimura, to me, is a starter in the NBA. Jerry Vanderbilt is a starter in the NBA. Anthony Davis, LeBron James, obviously. Um, Gary Vincent can start at the two. You want to do Austin Reeves, Gary Vincent, LeBron AD, insert person here. Um, that could be your starting lineup. Jackson Hayes is on that team. Uh, Torian Prince is on that team. Um, so I think that the Lakers make a move with D'Angelo Russell early in the season if it doesn't happen before the season. But I think they want to go into the season and see how it goes. And then possibly make that move um, with D'Angelo Russell. Like I said, $19 million a year is a hell of a contract. That's a, that's a center and that's Vucevic. I mean, literally, almost dollar for dollar, that's Nikola Vucevic. Um, Vuce signed for $20 million a year, I want to say, in Chicago. Three years, 60. Um, D'Angelo's two-year, 37. 18 and a half versus 20. You know, Max Christie's on the Lakers team, but D'Angelo Russell throw in some random two-way guy to make the dollars work could turn into Nikola Vucevic. And then you make it start Austin Reeves, Gary Vincent, LeBron, AD, Vooch. That's a hell of a starting five, you know? So there's uh, different options out there for the Lakers with that $19.5 million. I think their big piece is going to be D'Angelo Russell, the trade deadline. But uh, Jason took Rich Paul, hit it big again. Um, Rich Paul today, he gets 3% of contracts. So uh, Rich Paul today made $5.58 million getting his contract extension signed with Anthony Davis. Um, So shout out him. Uh, Shout out AD again for securing his future. They say he's got 200, he's due $270 million um, in over the next five years. The Lakers have their centerpiece into the future post LeBron era. They also have a pretty solid team around him. Like I said, multiple guys uh, with more than two years on their contract. That is all I have for today. I hope you guys have a great rest of your weekend. As always, don't forget to like, rate, and uh, share, and subscribe to the Just In Time Sports Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to follow and turn on your post notifications for Just In Time Sports social media, wherever your favorite social media is. Um, but that is all I have for today. Uh, this is your host, Justin Jackson.